0: So we're continuing with Part One, Chapter Two of individuation in the light of notions of form and information. We're starting from page seventy-nine of the translation. So we saw the the last section. Uh, we just started um, subsection two, uh, but the previous section we saw the analysis of um, different uh, different crystals that have. Uh, Uh, are certain substances that have crystalline forms that uh, have different levels of stability. So um, sulfur that can crystallize in one form uh, and then that form can recrystallize into a second form. Um, And then now in this section, we're looking at uh, the the actual formation of the crystal out of an amorphous um, um, substance. Uh, So we're now looking at the absolute genesis of a physical individual rather than the relative genesis so that's that's about where we are, um, and oh, and he also mentioned right at the beginning of the section that um, this uh, different um, looking at it, looking at um, the absolute genesis as opposed to the relative one will require a certain um, modification of the ideas of individuation. So we can keep that in mind as we read this section about what the differences are between uh, the relative individuation that we saw in the last section and the absolute individuation that we're seeing in this section. Okay, so um, I'll start from the top of 79. uh, We have another one of these long paragraphs, so I'll read um, about a page and then we'll stop to discuss. For example, let's consider the property that is characteristic of the crystalline stage, anisotropy. The crystal possesses two types of completely different anisotropy. The first is continuous anisotropy. Certain vectorial properties of crystals vary continuously with direction. This is the case of electrical, magnetic, and elastic properties, and properties related to thermodylation, caloric conductibility, and the speed of the propagation of light. But alongside these properties, we note other properties that vary discontinuously with direction. They are expressed by the existence of linear directions or planar directions with particular properties, whereas the neighboring directions do not possess them to any degree. Thus, the crystal can only be limited externally by certain linear and planar directions, according to the law stated by René de Lille in 1783. The dihedral angles that make up the natural facets of a crystal are constant for the same type. Similarly, the cohesion, such as it, it is revealed by the planes of cleavages or the appearances of parting, manifests a discontinuous anisotropy. Ultimately, the most beautiful example of discontinuous anisotropy is the diffraction of X-rays. The bundle of X-rays that strikes a crystal is reflected in a limited number of planes with well-determined orientations. However, these properties of discontinuous anisotropy arise from the genesis of the crystal as an individual and not as an exemplary of a type. Each individual is structured in this way. In an aggregate of crystals assembled without without any order, each crystal has defined its facets, its dihedral angles, and its corners according to a direction of the ensemble that is explained by external circumstances whether mechanical or chemical, and yet according to rigorously determined internal reports starting from the singular genesis. For the crystal, the fact of being an individual consists in the fact that it has developed in this way relative to itself. There is ultimately at the end of the genesis, a crystal individual because an organized ensemble has developed around the crystalline germ that incorporates an initially amorphous matter that is rich in potentials by structuring it according to a proper arrangement of all the parts with respect to one another. Here, there is a veritable interiority of the crystal that consists in the fact that the the order of the elementary particles is universal within a determined crystal. The unicity of this structure for all the elements of the same individual designates the initial existence of a germ that has not only initiated the crystallization as a change of state, but also has the unique principle of the structuration of the crystal in its particularity. The structural germ has been the origin of an active orientation that is progressively imposed onto all the elements included in the crystal as its growth continues. An internal historicity, which extends throughout the genesis, starting from the microphysical germ all the way up to the ultimate limits of the macrophysical edifice, creates a completely particular homogeneity. The germ's initial structure cannot positively involve the crystallization of an amorphous body if the latter is not in a metastable equilibrium. A certain energy is required in the amorphous substance that receives the crystalline germ. But from the moment the germ is present, it possesses the value of a principle. Its structure and its orientation take control of this energy of the metastable stage. The crystalline germ, containing nothing more than an extremely small amount of energy, is nevertheless capable of guiding the structuration of a massive matter several million times greater than its own. Um, so here so here he's, he's discussing... Um, uh, the relationship between um, a crystal's structure and the substance of which the crystal is made. Um, so this is, I, I posted a link uh, a little bit earlier in the chat, if you scroll up, um, that uh, looks at um, different uh, crystal families or crystal crystal structures and um, And uh, there's a a limited number of different possible crystal structures. There's 32 um, and they're divided into six or seven groups, depending on how you um, group the different structures. Um, And uh, all different, any chemical substance that will crystallize has to crystallize in one of those forms um, and into one of those 32 forms. And 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 so you can classify crystals based on the different uh, symmetries of those forms. um, And we'll see a little bit more of that as we continue. But um, here he's pointing he's pointing to the fact that um, the individuation of this crystal out of the um, uh, amorphous mass in which it forms um, has to do with the way that the structure of that crystal is determined by the the chemical nature of the substance, um, and we'll see a little bit more on that as we continue as well. Right. Um, yeah. So post posted in the chat here. What is the relationship between these 32 forms and the discussion of types um, that we saw, uh, I think, last week or the week before? Um, so. Uh, it's the existence so in, in that discussion earlier of types um, what Simon argues is that it, uh, it's it's the existence of discontinuity in certain uh, properties of uh, a physical individual that makes it possible to uh, classify those individuals under types or under species um, and so in this case, the, uh, the, diff- the 32 different types are, are discontinuous. There's no intermediate forms from, between one type and the next. Um, so uh, in, that, in that same way, we could use these properties as um, uh, principles of classification of crystals so that we can uh, assign a type uh, under one of these 32 forms to crystals because those 32 forms are discontinuous um, with respect to each other. Yeah, and uh, as as 61 uh, posted it in in the chat there, so this has to do with uh, space groups uh, uh, in um, uh, the the mathematical study of the um, system of all the possible transformations, so rotations and reflections and so on uh, of uh, a shape um, uh, basically determines the different possible uh, crystalline uh, structures that can exist. So it's the the uh, the different possible symmetries um are are the different possible uh, crystalline structures uh, in in a sort of um uh simplified way um but uh yeah so there's a, a a deep mathematical um reason why there are certain crystalline structures that are possible um and anyway, so yeah i don't know it's kind of cool um but uh um, the the last little bit that I wanted to point to in um, in this passage that that we just read um, is the the this notion of an active orientation. So um, in the the last line on seventy nine going into eighty, it says this structural germ has been the origin of an active orientation that is progressively imposed onto all the elements included in the crystal as its growth continues. Um, so we'll see um, more about this orientation or, or uh, polarization is the term that he uses later on. Um, but the, uh, the structural germ um, imposes onto this amorphous mass uh, some sort of uh, directionality um, so that um, certain directions have uh, properties that other directions don't have, whereas the amorphous mass is basically the same in all directions. Um, and, and so this um, uh, orientation or polarization is uh, what's, what's characteristic of the structural germ or, or the action of the structural germ on, onto the, the amorphous mass. Okay, uh, so I think we can continue from here. If someone else would like to read, we're, we're at undoubtedly this modulation.
1: Undoubtedly, this modulation is possible because the crystal's successive stages during its development serve as relays for this initial structuring singularity. But it nevertheless remains true that the passage from the initial germ to the crystal resulting from the structuration of a single layer of molecules around this germ has indicated the capacity of amplification of the ensemble constituted by the germ and the amorphous milieu. The phenomenon of growth is consequently automatic and indefinite, since all the successive layers of the crystal have the capacity to structure the amorphous milieu that surrounds them, while this milieu remains metastable. In this sense, a crystal is endowed with an indefinite power of growth. A crystal can have its growth stopped, but it can never be considered complete, and it can always continue to grow if it is put back into a metastable milieu that it can structure it is important to note quite particularly that the nature of the exteriority or interiority of the conditions is modified by the genesis itself. At the moment when the crystal is not yet constituted, the energetic conditions can be considered as exterior to the crystalline germ, whereas the structural conditions are carried by this germ itself. Conversely, when the Crystal has grown, it has at least partially incorporated certain amounts of substance that constituted the support of the potential energy of the metastable state while they were amorphous. Thus, we cannot speak of the energy external to the crystal, for this energy is carried by a substance that is incorporated within the crystal in its own growth. The energy is only provisionally exterior. Furthermore, the interiority of the crystalline's germ structure is not absolute and does not autonomously regulate the structuration of the amorphous mass. In order for this modulating action to be able to be carried out, the structural germ must bring with it the structure corresponding to the crystalline system in which the amorphous substance can crystallize. The crystalline germ does not have to have the same chemical nature as the amorphous crystalline substance, but there must be an identity between the two crystalline systems in order for the apprehension of the potential energy contained in the amorphous substance to be carried out. The difference between the germ and the amorphous crystallizable milieu is therefore not constituted by the absolute presence or absence of a structure, but by the state of actuality or virtuality of this structure. The individuation of a system essentially results from the meeting of a mainly structural condition and a mainly energetic condition. But this meeting is not necessarily fruitful. In order for it to have constitutive constitutive value, it is also necessary that the energy can be actualized by the structure in accordance with the local material conditions. This possibility neither depends on the structural condition alone nor on the energetic condition alone but on the compatibility of the germ's crystalline systems and the substance that constitutes the milieu of this germ thus a third condition is manifested that we have not been able to note in the preceding case because it was necessarily fulfilled since the uh, trom- yeah
0: let's uh, let's stop there actually uh just to uh have some time for discussion of that uh, this is an important passage uh thanks um yeah, so we had some um, some discussion the last couple of weeks about um, these conditions that he he points to, where he sometimes he sometimes talks about three conditions of individuation. Sometimes he, he talks about two conditions. So we have the structural, uh, the energetic, and the material, uh, and then he sometimes groups the material and and uh, energetic conditions together. Um, uh, as as sort of one group of conditions, and and the structural condition would be the other um, set of conditions. Um, but here he he um, he sets it out more clearly um, as uh, three different kinds of conditions of individuation. So we have um, um, let's see. So we have the energetic condition uh so that's the the general uh that's at the level of the whole system um so in the case of the the crystalline uh uh uh, or in the crystal formation uh this would be the the temperature of the system for example um as as one component of the energetic condition Um, and then we have the structural condition which is the the presence of the the crystalline germ Um, but uh, those two alone don't uh, account for the, the capacity of crystallization of the system because um, because we need the the third um, uh, principle or third condition which is the material condition um, so the uh, material in question uh, the the substance uh, that is uh, in the amorphous state has to have um uh, the potential to crystallize in the same structure as the, the crystalline germ. Um, so it doesn't have to be exactly the same substance, but it has to have the same crystalline structure um, in order for that uh, crystallization to be possible. Um, so that material condition is the, the third one um, that, uh, and so here we have one of the differences between the relative individuation we saw in the last subsection and the absolute individuation, because as he points out in, in the case of the relative individuation, um, that, um, relationship between the, the structural condition and the energetic condition was, uh, necessarily given because we're dealing with the same substance in, in different, uh, crystalline structures. Whereas now when we're talking about, uh, an absolute individuation or absolute genesis, um, the, that condition is not necessarily fulfilled. So we need to, um, um uh, identified the material condition as a, a separate condition. Um, so that's that's sort of why we we saw the alternation between the either describing it as two conditions or describing it as three conditions. Um, uh, so yeah, that's that's what sort of um explains that sort of uh, alternation that we saw. yeah, and uh, um, Alyosha posted the uh, the footnote in the chat there. Um, and so here he, um he points to uh, or he, he compares the the crystallization process to modulation which we saw um his discussion of modulation we saw in the first chapter um um but here um we have in in this operation of modulation we have three different energies or um so there's the the potential energy of the amorphous substance um and then the the crystalline germ um modulates that potential energy um, so there's a, a a slight energy coming from the crystalline germ uh, and then there's the the coupling of the germ with the uh, with the amorphous substance um which is the third um system third energy in the system uh, so um yeah there's a actually in that trans, in the translation of the the footnote there's a i think a yeah, I would not translate it that way. Which, when, when he says which is confused with the fact that the amorphous substance and the germ form of physical system, I would just say which is, um, which is identified. I think would be better. Um, which is identified with the fact that the amorphous substance and the germ form of physical system.
2: Um, so I'm curious about um, those three conditions, uh, now that you're talking about, and if it connects with. Uh, this discussion of interiority that came just a little bit earlier. I think it was the last the last reading. So there is a paragraph where he describes the veritable interiority of the crystal, or I guess a sentence. And uh, that kind of sounded like what you were describing as the material condition. And he calls it a universal um, a kind of universal order of the elementary particles. And then he says the unicity of this structure uh, is given by the germ. I think that's what, uh, yeah, the initial existence of a germ. And then he calls this the particularity uh, of the, I guess, of the individual. And I'm, I'm wondering if like, are we looking at the two conditions here spelled out like the structural and the material or is the material something else that's not really showing up in this sentence here? Does that, does that make sense?
0: Yeah, I think, uh, I think I understand what you're getting at. Um, oh yeah, that was back on page 79. Um, so the, um, so the, the interiority, when he talks about this veritable interiority of the crystal, um, so this has to do with the, um, The way that um, the the uh, if we look at the 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 system as a whole, so partly crystallized and partly still amorphous, um, then the the interior of the crystal is structured by um, that initial um, structuring germ. Uh, So it's it's already undergone that process of structuration. Uh, So its interior to the crystal. not just in a, a geometrical sense, but um, in the sense that it's it's, um, uh, it's undergone the structuration process as opposed to the um, amorphous milieu in which the, the crystal is still um, uh, situated. The, the rest of that amorphous milieu has not undergone that crystallization process or structuration process. So it's exterior to the crystal. But uh, I'm wondering, I, I don't think, um, that notion of the material condition has, has been um, really introduced at that point yet of the development. Um, so it, he, he's, he's pointing to the, um, r- the role of that structuring, the structuring role of the, uh, um, of the germ. Um, but then it's only um, as we go through uh, a little bit later on page 80, that we get this introduction and then uh, on to 81 actually. Yeah, so it's on 81 that he, he introduces the material condition as the, the third condition that um, is needed in order to a- account for the coupling of the, uh, the germ and the uh, um, energetics uh, and the energetic state of the system. Uh, so, yeah, I think it's only on 81 that he introduces that third um, uh, condition. Um, yeah, I'm just looking at the chat here. Um, so uh, Triad had a question about the, this coupling um, between the, uh, uh, the energetic and, and structural conditions. So um, is there to be a, an assumed continuity to the other conditions, some similarity in quant- in quality or kind? Um, uh, so we'll see, um, uh, I think, in the next page or so um, a bit more about um, how we should be understanding this uh, this um, coupling, um, or, or the material condition, um, that, that accounts for it. Um, but, uh, he's going to explain it in terms of a, a rapport. Um, so it's, it's neither, uh, purely qualitative or, or, quantitative. Um, it's, it has to do with, um, an analogical, uh, rapport between, um, uh, between the, the, uh, the parts of the system. So the, the structural and the energetic. Um, um, aspects of the system. But yeah, we'll see more on that in the next um, page or so. So uh, stay tuned. Um, and then there's also uh, the question from Angus. Um, so, is the analogical rapport between the amorphous milieu and the structure of the germ the same as the homogeneity of matter we discussed in the brick making example? In that example, this homogeneity was necessary for the communication between the orders of magnitude. Hmm. i have not. I'm not sure it's the same, but it's definitely related. Um, so, yeah, in the in the brick making example, it was the the um, homogeneity uh, of the matter. Um, the fact that the clay has been prepared um, is what allows for the the mold um, to impose a form onto the clay. Um, so, it uh, that preparation of the clay. Um, Plays the role of um, setting up the communication between the the two orders of magnitude of the uh, of the the mold uh, the form of the mold and the um, um, microstructure of the of the clay that is going going to be going to the brick. Um, and here we have similarly um, the material condition uh, is uh, playing the role of um, Setting up the communication between the uh, the energetic condition, which is a, a condition of the whole system, uh, so at, at a level a higher order of magnitude than the individual, um, and then uh, the uh, the structural um, germ, which is um, at a, a lower order of magnitude than the individual, that will result. So um, it's playing the same role. I'm not. I don't. Yeah, I'm. I'm not sure if we should. Um, fully identify them, but it's playing the same role um, in this process of individuation as um, the the homogeneity of the matter. Um, and then there was another comment from Alyosha um, asking about um, what what the relationship is between the material condition uh, so is, is material condition the same thing as, as a relation and uh, um, as a milieu um, I think it's not um, we can't exactly identify the material condition with the milieu, um, but um, the material condition is the the relationship between um, the uh, potential structure of the milieu, um, so um, the the structures that it is capable of taking on, and, and the structure of the crystalline germ. Um, so the, the material condition is always a, a relational condition. Um, um, and we'll see a little bit more on that as we as we continue. But um, the, the substance in its amorphous state has a, a certain latent um, structure. It's only capable of uh, taking on certain structures. Um, and those have to um, uh, line up with the structure of the germ in order for the individuation to happen. Um, so the material condition is the virtual properties of the rela- relation. Um, um, I don't even think that's quite it either. So I, I would say the, the material condition is the relation between the potentialities of the amorphous substance and the, um, the actual structure of the, uh, of the germ. So there's a, a relationship between um, the potential uh, on the one side and the actual on the other side. Okay, so we can continue um, with the next bit, if someone else would like to read, we're at, here it is no longer a question.
3: Here it is no longer a question of the scalar quantity of potential energy, nor of the pure vectoral properties of the structure carried by the germ. But a question of a third type of rapport, which can be called analogical, between the latent structures of the still amorphous substance and the germ's actual structure. This condition is required for there to be a veritable amplifying relation between this structure of the germ and this potential energy carried by an amorphous substance. This relation is neither purely quantitative nor purely qualitative. It is different than a rapport of qualities or a rapport of quantities. It defines the mutual interiority of a structure and of a potential energy within a singularity. This interiority is not spatial, for we are witnessing here the action of a structural germ on its environment. It is not an equivalence of terms, since the terms, statically and dynamically, are dissymmetrical. We use the word analogy to designate this relation, because the content of platonic thought relative to paradigmatism in its ontological foundations seems to us more fruitful in this sense for consecrating the introduction of a relation that includes energetic quantity and structural quality. This relation is information. The germ singularity is effective when it arrives in a tense thylomorphic situation. A precise analysis of the relation between a structural germ and the milieu that it structures shows that this relation requires the possibility of a polarization of the amorphous substance by the crystalline germ. The active range of this polarization can be very minuscule. From the moment that a first layer of amorphous substance has become a crystal around the germ, it plays the role of a germ for another layer. And the crystal can at that point develop bit by bit. The relation of a structural germ to the potential energy of a metastable state is established in this polarization of amorphous matter. We must therefore seek the foundation of a genesis constituting the individual here. From the very beginning and from a macrophysical point of view, the individual always appears as the bearer of polarization. Indeed, it is worth noting that a polarization is a transitive property, or that polarization is a transitive property. It is simultaneously a consequence and a cause. A body constituted by a process of polarization exerts a series of polar- polarizing functions, merely one of which is the crystal's capacity to grow. Perhaps it would be possible to generalize the physical consequences of Pierre Curie's 1894 studies on symmetry. Um, Curie's laws can be stated in two forms. The first utilizes current concepts. A phenomenon possesses all the elements of symmetry of the causes that produce it, and the symmetry of a phenomenon is found again in the causes. Furthermore, the produced effects can be more symmetrical than the causes, which means that the reciprocal of the first law is not true. This amounts to stating that if a phenomenon presents a dissymmetry, this dissymmetry should be found again in the causes. This dissymmetry is what creates the phenomenon. Uh, I'll just read this next line, because I think it's related. Um, But above all, the particular interest of Curie's laws resides in the in their pre- precise statement, a phenomenon can exist in a milieu that possesses its characteristic symmetry, or that of one of the subgroups of this symmetry. It will not be manifested in a more symmetrical milieu. Uh,
0: so here we have. Um, this is what I uh, mentioned a little while ago about um, this notion of polarization. It's only in so far as the um, as the uh, germ introduces something like a polarization or or um, uh, a privileged direction or some sort of difference uh, um, into the amorphous mass that um, that it can um, begin this individuation process. Um, so there, there's some um, there's some direction uh, uh, that has certain properties, and and some other direction that doesn't have those properties. Um, um, once that. Uh, germ is introduced into the amorphous mass, um, and, and this um, polarization uh, proceeds uh, gradually throughout the substance, um, so that the germ, uh, it uh, polarizes the uh, one layer uh, of, of, uh, of molecules around the, uh, the limit of the germ, uh, and then that layer Plays the same polarizing role um, to the next layer, and so on. Um, and so that's what it means for this polarization to be transitive, uh, so that um, it. Uh, so he says it's simultaneously a consequence and a cause. So um, one uh, one transitive, uh, or sorry, one uh, polarized um, uh, entity. Uh, polarizes the, the rest of the, uh, the, the limit around itself um, within the amorphous substance. And then that, ne- that next layer plays the same polarizing role for the, the succeeding layer. Um, so it, that, the, the first layer that forms is uh, the consequence of the polarization introduced by the structural germ. And then it also serves as the cause of the next layer of polarization. Uh, so it it, um, uh, it plays both roles successively. Um, so that's that's what that uh, calling it transitive means here.
2: So I'm curious about this uh, uh, kind of a middle, or I don't know what to call it exactly, but this material condition that we're looking at here. Um, I guess it's a kind of it's a kind of middle, it seems, or has a certain maybe unifying structure or a kind of mediating structure or or function. And uh, um, I guess I'm wondering about, well, one of the formulations is it's neither qualitative nor quantitative. And I guess I'm wondering how those two are distributed. So it seems maybe, that the quantitative is proper to the potential energy. I think he had called it a scalar quantity at one point. Um, I'm not sure where exactly. And then the quality perhaps is uh, can be attributed to the germ as having like a you know it's being you know something we can describe in concrete terms. It has a shape. It has an appearance. Uh, so, and, and then somehow the material condition, mediating between these two, uh, or being sort of the the that medium where quantity turns into quality, or somehow they they uh, yeah they relate in some way. So, um, anyway, just a kind of a a, a shot at an interpretation.
0: Um, Yeah, sorry. I was just trying to find the that line that you you referred to, where where he 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 describes the um, potential energy as a scalar property um, or a scalar quantity, and the structural germ as um, having a a vectoral quantity, uh, quantitative structure. Um, Basically, basically what that means is just that that the energy of a system um, is a um, a number in a straightforward sense, so you can measure the the energy. Um, it's so many um, uh, calories or, or whatever um, uh, unit of measurement you use, um, whereas um, uh, the qualitative germ has not only a, a number associated with it, but also a direction. Um, so it, that, in that sense, it's a, a vector um, so that um, um, the, the structural germ... Um, is, is characterized by the fact that it has this directionality to it. So it, it's not uh, the same in all directions uh, that um, certain directions have certain properties and other directions don't have those properties. Um, uh, and then, so the relationship or, or what, what relationship does that have to the, um, this material condition? Um, uh, yeah. So then on 81, is it, um, if I can find the passage. Um, oh yeah, so here's that passage, uh, on, on 81, um, where he distinguishes between the scalar quantity uh, of potential energy and the, uh, the pure vectorial properties of the structure carried by the germ. Um, and I think, uh, I think it is right to, um, um, identify that later on with, uh, hit this distinction between the quantitative and the qualitative. Um, so it's uh, the qualitative is, uh, um, has to do with the structural germ. Uh, and then the quantitative has to do with the uh, energy, energetic properties of the system. But uh, sorry, where I'm trying to find the next line. Um, right. So here uh, again, on 81, a little bit lower down, he says this relation. So the, the relation that, um, that, uh, Uh, is brought about by the material condition, this amplifying relation uh, between the the germ and potential energy. Um, This relation is neither purely quantitative nor purely qualitative. It is different than a rapport of qualities or a rapport of quantities. It defines the mutual interiority of a structure and of a potential energy within a singularity. So uh, so it's neither purely quantitative, it's neither uh, purely having to do with the energetic system nor purely qualitative, um, uh, so having to do with the structural germ, uh, but it's uh, what accounts for the um, the combination of the two, or how the two interact with each other. Um, um, so, it's the condition of the, the the material condition is the condition of that relation between the qualitative and quantitative aspects, um, and so it does play something like a mediating role in that sense.
4: So for for me, it almost reads like a form of intensity there, or, or some um, uh, like an intense uh, relationship that is within this germ that is to spread out uh, when it hits the right threshold in a specific milieu, for example. So um, there is this. Um, I, I I'm searching for another term that uh, other than uh, in, intention or uh, tension here. Um, It's like suspense or in some sort of suspended stress, uh, if you understand what I mean, that uh, through this germ, through this imbalance that is not yet purely chaotic in relation to this amorphous milieu on the outside, has some sort of protostructure to it, some sort of um, um, tension that then expands like um, like um, a trigger you pull, or something like that.
0: Yeah, he does use the word tension. Um, uh, I think we saw that in, uh, in the last couple of pages, uh, maybe page eighty or eighty one. Um, but he uses he uses it not of the germ, but of the um, the the hylomorphic situation. So the the existence of the system. Um, uh, having this um, um, divergence of the different orders of magnitude that are not communicating with each other yet, um, until that uh, the germ is introduced, um, so it's that it's that condition of the system uh, that is tense uh, and it has the tension. So um, um, it's. Uh, yeah, the, the tension is inherent in the whole system as a whole, uh, the system as a whole, rather than in uh, the, the germ itself. Uh, the germ is what, um, um, I think, as you, as you said, uh, triggers uh, the, the individuation process. Um, so the, the tension pre-exists, um, the individuation process, and then the, the introduction of the structural germ is the, the trigger for that process.
2: I'm thinking of uh, the case of vaccines as a possible example here uh, I wonder if this works so if if we take the propagation of a virus to be um, a certain kind of individuation and I suppose the the potential energy in this case might be something like the propensity of an of an organism to you know, display symptoms, or to uh, to develop a disease, or to develop a, you know um, the the flu, let's say, or the uh, uh, the the illness. And then the vaccine, what it seems to do is to come into the middle, in a sense, between the organism and the and the germ, right? And to prevent that match or that. Uh, uh, you know, the the kind of the alignment, or there's a certain I guess a certain opening in the organism that allows the virus to come in, right? And when and when a person is vaccinated, that opening is closed to a large degree. And so um, so I guess vaccination would kind of demonstrate what this material condition might be in this case. And it, it sort of cancels that condition, right? So that the individuation of, of the virus is no longer possible.
0: Yeah, I think that's a, well, that's a, a topical example, of course, but it's also a, a, an interesting um, application of the concept um, because um, viruses actually um, do have a, a crystalline form that, or they can exist under a crystalline form uh, um, when they're uh, outside of an organism. Um, so they can, they can sort of survive in this dormant state and then, uh, they can be introduced into an organism and then, um, uh, bring about reproduction. Um, but yeah, so it, in this case, the uh, the, um, um, the, the, uh, usefulness of that example is because, um, as, as you, as you pointed out, there has to be that, uh, that same sort of, um, compatibility between the, uh, the organism in which the virus uh, is introduced, um, and the uh, the structure of the virus. So only only certain organisms can be the host for uh, a certain virus. Um, uh, and so that um, um, uh, yeah, so the virus uh, acts as like a, a structural germ in that it, it basically forces the the host organism to produce copies of the virus, which um, which then uh, um, uh, spread out, uh, throughout the organism. So this is, um, uh, in the same way that the, the, crystal structures, the amorphous substance, um, the virus is structuring the substance of the host organism, um, uh, into more viruses basically. Um, um, and then the, the role of the vaccine would be, uh, precisely to, um, disrupt that compatibility so that the the host organism is no longer a, a suitable host for the the virus um, um, So yeah, I think that's a, a good example
4: Have we talked about uh, sorry? I was afk for some minutes uh, about his use of analogy yet?
0: Uh, no, we haven't really discussed that that, that would be um, probably an important point to go over
4: mm-hmm because uh, for me, when he uses analogy here, because he points this out very directly when he's uh, using it um, in the paragraph um, you you mentioned before, which uh, can be called analogous between the latent structure and the still amorphous substance and the germ's actual structure, and then uh, a little bit later, this interiority is not spatial. For we are witnesses here. The, um, for we are witnesses here. The action of a structural germ. In its environment, it is not an equivalence of terms, since the terms statistically, nee, statically, uh, and dynamically are dissymmetrical. We use the word analogy to designate this relation, because the content of Platonic thought relative to parad- um, paradigmatism is its ontological foundation. Seems to us more fruitful in this sense for consecrating the introduction of the relation that includes. Includes energetic quantity and structural quality, because here he uses analogy in in this very literal sense, right? Because analogy is, is this this um, word combined of um, anna and logos, like uh, it is the um, the the to make something in its logic or in its grammar, in its speech, um, yeah, analogous. Uh, uh, it has the same. Uh, structure, so to speak, it is in some sort uh, similar, or it it gets made similar in this sense. So uh, it's quite a good description of this process that, uh, like an expansion of this um, structural aspect of the germ into this uh, amorphic milieu.
0: Yeah, that's uh, um, the etymology. There is useful. Um, um, I wonder if anyone knows what um, what uh, platonic dialogue he has in mind here when he talks about analogy because I, I don't remember that specific reference um, um, to to analogy in Plato um, but um, we can also keep in mind that he um, when he talks about analogy he, he uh, he's always... Um, He always has in mind this uh, transductive mode of thinking, um, which he describes, I think, in the introduction as being what is valid about analogical thinking. Uh, So, transductive thinking is what is valid about analogical thinking, Um, and um, so um, here we we see the the more precise characterization of uh, analogy or um, uh, what um, the ontological basis for um, analogy is. Uh, Is precisely that material condition that um, makes compatible uh, or that um, institutes the relationship between the uh, um, energetic uh, properties of the system and the uh, the structural germ. Um, so it's um, it's uh, always going to be something like this material condition that um, underlies any uh, valid analogical thinking. Right. And then uh, Aliosha has posted in the chat here, um, a reminder about how um, the transductive um, approach or a transductive method always involves um, a relation to um, that which is thought. Uh, so that it's not just um, uh, it's not just some sort of um, uh, rapport in, in Tim sense, some sort of external relationship between uh, an object known and a subject knowing it. Um, but it's uh, um, the, the relationship of knowledge is um, part of the structuring of the system as a whole. Okay, so I think we can go on. Uh, if someone else would like to read, we're on page uh, 82. Um, and we're starting at uh, the characteristic symmetry.
2: The characteristic symmetry of a phenomenon is the maximum symmetry compatible with the existence of this phenomenon. This characteristic symmetry must be defined for each phenomenon, like the electrical field, the magnetic field, and the electromagnetic field, characteristic of the propagation of a light wave. However, it is acknowledged that the number of symmetry groups presenting one or several axes of isotropy is limited. And crystallographers have determined the possibility of only seven groups. One, the symmetry of the sphere. Two, the direct symmetry of the sphere, that of a sphere filled with a liquid endowed with a rotatory power. Three, the symmetry of the cylinder of revolution, which is that of an isotropic body compressed in one direction, that of the cylinder's axis. 4. The direct symmetry of the cylinder, i.e. that of a cylinder filled with a liquid endowed with the rotatory power. 5. The symmetry of the cone's frustum. 6. The symmetry of a cylinder turning on its axis. and 7. The symmetry of the rotating frustum of the cone. The first two systems present more of an axis of isotropy, and the last five present a single axis. Due to these systems, it is acknowledged that the symmetry characteristic of the electrical field is that of a cone's frustum, while the symmetry characteristic of the magnetic field is that of the rotating cylinder. It can then be understood under what conditions a physical individual, whose genesis has been determined by a polarization corresponding to a structure characterized by a certain type of symmetry, can produce a phenomenon that presents a determined polarization. Thus, a phenomenon noted by Novalis and celebrated in the poetic invocation of the Tyre senders, crystal tourmaline, can be understood based on the system of the symmetry of the cone's frustum. The symmetry of the tourmaline is that of a triangular pyramid A crystal of heated tourmaline reveals an electrical polarity in the direction of its ternary axis. The tourmaline is already polarized at ordinary temperatures, but a slow displacement of electrical charges compensates this polarization. The heating only modifies the state of polarization in a manner such that compensation no longer takes place given a certain time but the crystal structure has not been modified. Similarly, magnetic rotatory polarization is linked to the symmetry characteristic of the magnetic field, that of the rotating cylinder. Ultimately, the interpretation becomes particularly interesting in the case of the phenomenon of piezoelectricity discovered by Jacques and Pierre Curie. It consists in the appearance of electrical charges through the compression of mechanical dilation of certain crystals. Compression or mechanical dilation. Since the phenomenon consists in the appearance of an electrical field, the symmetry of the system that produces this field, the crystal and forces of compression, must be at best that of the frustum of the cone. Hence the fact that pyroelectric crystals can be piezoelectric. By compressing a crystal of tourmaline along the ternary pyroelectric axis, the appearance of electrical charges of the opposite sign are established. By contrast, crystals like those of quartz, which only have a ternary symmetry, the extremities of the binary axes are not equivalent, are not pyroelectric but piezoelectric, because when a pressure is exerted along a binary axis, the only element of symmetry common to the crystal and the compression is this binary axis. This symmetry, a subgroup of the symmetry of the frustum, of the cone, is compatible with the appearance of an electrical field along this axis. In such a crystal, the electrical polarization can also be determined by a compression perpendicular to the facets of the prism. The only element of symmetry common to the crystal symmetry and to the cylindrical symmetry of compression is the binary axis perpendicular to the direction of the force of compression. The result is that crystals with no center of symmetry can be piezoelectric. This is the case of Rochelle salt, potassium, sodium tartrate, which is orthorhombic and has an anantiomorphic hemihydrate, and whose chemical composition is indicated by the formula CO2K, CHOH, CHOH, CO2NA.
0: Okay, yeah, you can stop there. Um, thank you. Yeah, so there's a lot of um, uh, discussion of crystals here, which I think... Um, I think is not super important to grasp all the details of, um, although uh, Angus has posted some useful um, um, uh, information in the chat here. Um, so the the frustum of a cone is um, the, the portion of a cone or a pyramid which remains after its upper part has been cut off by a plane parallel to its base or which is intercepted between two such planes. Um, so there, there's a picture in the chat there, which uh, helps to visualize this. Um, but um, the the um, the discussion of the different uh, groups of symmetries um, on page eighty-two. Uh, so he gives the seven groups. Um, so the the thirty-two different symmetries all fall under one of these seven groups, um, and it also sometimes classes six groups depending on the the. Um, basis of that classification um but uh um different crystalline structures have um different forms of symmetry in terms of um how they can be rotated um or reflected um uh the the different types uh the different ways in which um that structure is preserved under rotation or reflection or other forms of symmetry um and these seven groups are um the sort of general groups under which those forms of symmetry um, exist. And then uh, what he describes in the next couple, uh, or the next paragraph or so, is the the way that different properties of these crystals um, have to align with the axes of symmetry um, uh, along these different forms of symmetry. So certain certain crystals like this tourmalin. Um, has this property of um, um, uh, electrical polarity when it's heated. So it's a pyroelectric crystal. Um, So uh, um, pyroelectric meaning that the uh, heating the crystal um, produces an electrical field. Um, um, And then um, what's the next example? Right. And then there's other crystals that have... um, Uh, the piezoelectric property so that uh, compression of the crystal produces an electric field. Um, And as as Ben pointed out, this is how quartz watches work. Um, So the, the, um, uh, the compression of the, um, of the crystal produces an electrical field, um, which uh, is then used um, to, to, um, what? and, and sorry, it also has a periodic, um, structure to it. Uh, so that's sort of what synchronizes the watch is how I understand it, but, uh, I'm far from an expert. So maybe someone else has a better, um, can explain that better. But, um, uh, as I said, I don't think the details are super important here. Uh, the basic idea, um, is that, um, the different properties of the crystals have to do with the, uh, uh, different, uh, symmetrical structures, uh, of the crystalline, uh, structure. Um, and so there's a, uh, this polarization that he pointed to a little while ago, um, occurs along these different axes of symmetry, uh, of the, of the crystal. Um, Alyosha, I'm not sure I understand exactly your, your question, but, um, um, I would uh just i guess point out there that i think there's um um, um i think there's uh, a bit of a translation issue with that passage that you quoted so i, I think um at best should instead be at most um uh, so it should be the symmetry of the system that produces this field the crystal and forces of compression must at, at most be that of the frustum of the cone um, so uh, it, he's saying that there, there's only um, as many symmetries as uh, the frustum of a cone has, um, and not more symmetries than that.
2: So it seems the point of this discussion of symmetry here, at least as I can gather, and I'm not, most of this is way over my head. Um, but it's, I mean, so it's coming into context of this material condition that he's mentioned, and I wonder if this may be an illustration of that like the symmetry uh, is is really is a, that sort of material condition that plays this mediating role between a germ and a and a field of potential
0: um, I think uh, well my understanding at least is that um, when he's talking about uh, the symmetry and dissymmetry here um, this has to do with the um, the structural condition so the the germ rather than the material condition um, so um, uh, the the germ introduces a dissymmetry into the system a, a polarization into the system uh, and then the polarization occurs along the these particular axes depending on uh the properties of the the chemical um substance in particular in particular that is uh undergoing the process of crystallization um so the the um, the polarization um, along different axes um, is uh, um, is what um, uh, is, is introduced by the structural germ, um, and and so I think that's um, sort of the how this bit fits in with the uh, the bigger picture.
2: I guess I'm thinking of this sentence. I think it was just at the end of the last reading, where he speaks of a characteristic symmetry. So he says, above all, the particular interest of Curie's laws resides in their precise statement, a phenomenon can exist in a milieu that possesses its characteristic symmetry, or that of one of the subgroups of this symmetry. And uh, I guess this characteristic symmetry makes me, it seems like it's a... Uh, and then he gives a kind of... Thi- uh, uh, an, the different groupings uh, he elaborates Um, so yeah this characteristic symmetry I guess was making me think of uh, the material condition like it's some kind of um, you know it's not just an abstract potentiality but it has a certain degree of potential structure or structured potential I don't know what to call it exactly Uh, yet without being you know as far as the degree of uh, without going as far as individuation um, so we can speak of a characteristic symmetry even without uh, even in a in a, in a in a kind of an amorphous or metastable uh, solution prior to the prior to the germ being introduced though I don't know that's just kind of speculating on my part
0: uh, well, prior to the introduction of the, the, the germ, the amorphous solution has, um, uh, um, I guess, an infinite symmetry, or um, uh, I mean, you could you could put it either as it has an infinite number of symmetries or no symmetries, um, because any um, any uh, rotation or uh, reflection of the um, of the amorphous mass will will result in something that is the same as, as it was before. Um, uh, so it doesn't have any privileged directions, it, it's isotropic. Um, um, so the the role of these um, uh, polarizations, or sorry to put it another way, the, the polarizations um, or the symmetries only exist insofar as there is something like a polarization. Uh, so a, a, a certain direction that has um, some sort of differentiation of properties. So it can be electrical, uh, magnetic um, um, uh, refraction of light, or um, whatever other properties um, that the, the the substance can have. Um, but uh, those properties have to differ along some axis. Um, so one axis um, has the property uh, in in some way and then another um axis doesn't have that property at all um and so uh yeah so because of that the these symmetries have to do with um the uh they're related to the structural germ um um of course the material condition is is always a condition for the um for the, the system as a whole to take on the this polarization. Um, so if, if you don't have the right, um, it's only that the substance with a certain chemical structure that is able to take on uh, particular forms of symmetry, um, but uh, it's only uh, in the structured states. So after the process of crystallization that um, these symmetries exist uh, because you have that uh, polarization or that differentiation along different axes. Okay, so we can continue. Um, I think I'll read the next bit. The habit that compels us to think according to common genera specific differences and distinctive features is so strong that we cannot avoid using terms that imply an implicit natural classification. With this reservation in mind, if we consent to subtract from the word property the meaning that it takes in a natural classification, we shall say that according to the preceding analysis, The the properties of a crystalline individual express and actualize the polarity or bundle of properties that have presided over its genesis by prolonging this polarity. A crystal, which is a structured matter, can become a structuring being. It is both the consequence and the cause of this polarization of matter, without which it would not exist. Its structure is a received structure, since it has required a germ, but the germ is not substantially distinct from the crystal. It remains included in the crystal, which becomes like a more extensive germ. Here the soma is coextensive with the german, and the german is coextensive with the soma. The german becomes soma, its function is coextensive with the limit of the crystal that develops. This power of structuring an amorphous milieu is in some sense a property of the the crystal's limit. It requires this symmetry between the interior state of the crystal and the state of its milieu. The genetic properties of a crystal are prominently manifested on its surface, they are the limits properties. Thus, if we want to be rigorous, we cannot say the properties of the crystal. They are instead modalities of the relation between the crystal and the amorphous body. It is because the crystal is perpetually unfinished in a maintained state of suspended genesis that it possesses what can be uniquely called properties. These properties are in fact, the ongoing disequilibrium manifested by the relations with the polarized fields and by the creation at the limit of the crystal and around it of a field that has a polarity determined by the crystal structure. By generalizing Curie's laws, we would find that a purely amorphous substance would not create polarized fields if it weren't rendered anisotropic by particular polarizing conditions, like a compression according to a determined direction, or a magnetic field. A singularity is polarized. The veritable properties of the individual are at the level of its genesis, and for this very reason, at the level of its relation with other beings, since if the individual is the being that is always capable of continuing its genesis, this genetic dynamism resides in its relation to other beings. The ontogenetic operation of the crystal's individuation is ac- accomplished on its surface. The interior layers represent a past activity, but the superficial layers are the deposits of this power of growing insofar as they are in relation with of structurable substance. The individual's limit is what it is in the present. It is the limit that manifests the individual's dynamism and that makes this relation exist between the structure and the hylomorphic situation. Um, so here, uh, we have again, uh, this criticism of the, um, classification into species and genera, which we saw, uh, I think last week or the week before. Um, and then we also had this, um, in, um, on the mode of existence of technical objects. He makes, uh, another, um, related criticism of, of, uh, classification, um, in this sense. Um, but, uh, here he wants to use the word "property," not um, not in in relation to some sort of um, n- not in relation to some sort of classification scheme, but um, as we saw uh, in last week's reading, um, the the properties uh, of an entity um, or, um, have to do uh, so. Both the continuous and the discontinuous properties are um, are characteristic of an, an individual entity. Um, and have this historical or evental character. So that uh, the the discontinuous properties, the ones that um, uh, have this characteristic of, of not being continuous uh, can be used for classification, but they aren't um, some, in some way ontologically separate from the individuals that fall under that category. Um, so their um, properties have to be understood uh, as uh, including both the discontinuous and the continuous um, properties of, uh, of the substance in, in question. And and so he points out here that these properties of the crystal um, uh, have to do with its polarization. So the the different uh, um, axes uh, within the crystal um, present different properties uh, to observation. And then uh, one other bit that uh, we should probably explain is um, when he talks about Soma in German, um, so this uh, is a reference to um, Weismann, uh, um, who was a biologist in the late nineteenth century, and he um, um, he set out this conceptual distinction between the soma, um, the the body of an organism, and the German, which is the um, uh, reproductive cells of the organism, um, and and so he points out that um, the it's only the reproductive cells of the organism that are passed on to the offspring um, uh, and, and then that go into the formation of the offspring. Um, so the the german uh is in a sense immortal, uh it, it lives on from one generation to the next, whereas the soma uh is it's reformed and, and dies out in each generation. But here um here uh, Simon Don points out that uh in the case of the crystal, there's no um there's no uh, distinction between the soma and the german um, because the, the seed or the um, uh, the germ of the, of the crystal um, just becomes part of the crystal, the crystal as the crystal forms. Um, <clears throat> there's no distinction in terms of uh, uh, what they're made of or, or what they're composed of uh, between the, the germ and the crystal that forms. Yeah, there's a nice uh, diagram that Triad posted in the chat there. So each, um, each the, the germplasm uh, or the germin lives on from one generation to the next, and then at each generation, it um, produces a, a soma, um, and then the soma dies out in each generation. So the, there's a continuity of the germplasm uh, across generations, um, whereas there's a discontinuity um, at the level of the soma. Right. Yes, I probably should have mentioned that. Yeah, soma is the Greek term for body. Um, so it, it, it really just means the, the body of the organism um, insofar as it's distinguished from the, uh, the um, uh, reproductive cells. Okay, so I think we can go on to the next bit uh, if someone else would like to pick up from the top of 85.
3: Um, okay. A being totally symmetrical in itself and symmetrical with respect to the beings that would limit it would be neutral and without properties. Properties are not substantial, but relational. They only exist through the interruption of a becoming. Temporality, insofar as it expresses or constitutes the most perfect model of asymmetry, the present is not symmetrical with the past because the flow of time is irreversible, is necessary to the individual's existence. Perhaps there is also a perfect reversibility between temporality and individuation, since time is always the time of a relation, which can only exist at the limit of an individual. According to this doctrine, it could be said that uh, it could be said that time is relation, and that there is no veritable relation that is not asymmetrical. Physical time exists as a relation between an amorphous term and a structured term; the first being the carrier of potential energy, and the second that of an asymmetrical structure. What also, results, um, what also results from seeing things this way is that every structure is simultaneously structured and st- structuring and structured. Each structure can be grasped in its twofold aspect when it is manifested in the, in the present of the relation between an amorphous potentialized state and a substance structured in the past. From that point, the relation between the future and the past would be the very thing that we witness between the amorphous Milia and the crystal. The present, the relation between the past and the future, is like the polarizing, asymmetrical limit between the crystal and the amorphous milia. This limit can neither be grasped as a potential nor as a structure. It is not interior to the crystal, but it no longer belongs to the, amor- the amorphous milia. However, in another sense, it is an integral part of both terms, since it is provided with all, with all of their properties. The two preceding aspects, including the belonging and non-belonging of the limit to the limited terms, which are opposed like the thesis and the antithesis of a dialectical triad, would remain artificially distinguished and opposed without the characteristic of their constitutive principle. This dissymmetrical relation is indeed the principle of the genesis of the crystal, and the dissymmetry continues throughout the genesis, whence results the nature of the indefiniteness of the crystal's growth. Becoming is not opposed to being, it is the constitutive relation of being qua individual. Consequently, we can say that the physico-chemical individual constituted by a crystal is in becoming qua individual. And it is indeed on this intermediate level between the ensemble and the molecule that the veritable physical individual exists. It can certainly be said in a derivative sense that a certain amount of sulfur is individualized by the fact that it is presented in a determined allotropic form. But this determined state of the overall ensemble does nothing but express on the macroscopic level the underlying and most fundamental reality of existence in the mass of real individuals that have a community of origin. The individualized characteristic of the ensemble is merely the the statistical expression of the existence of a certain number of real individuals. If an ensemble envelops many physical individuals from various origins and different structures, it is a mixture and remains poorly individualized. The veritable support of physical individuality is effectively the operation of elementary individuation, even if it only appears indirectly at the level of observation.
0: Right, so here we have more discussion of time, which he introduced in the uh, introduction of the book, um, uh, just sort of in passing, um, where he he describes how we need to have a, a genesis of time rather than time being something like the framework in which genesis occurs Um, time is itself um something that has a genesis uh and that results from individuation uh and we have here um uh some more specification of what that means um so that um it has to do with the dissymmetry of time uh in the sense that the um the future and the past are not uh reversible uh you can't um uh, most physical processes, or or many physical processes, um, proceed only along one direction, and they can't proceed um, in the opposite direction. So something like uh, burning a piece of paper, for example, uh, the the same process can't be run in reverse. Uh, so it's asymmetrical in that sense. So the the asymmetry here um, is uh, so in, in the same sense the the past. Um, turning into the future uh, in the present, that the present plays the same role as the limit of the crystal. Um, and so uh, it has that same uh, structuring role. Um, and so the past plays the role of the amorphous substance. And uh, the the future um, is, uh, is the crystallized, um, structured uh, result of that process. Oh, sorry, I think I said that backwards. Um, it's the... Um, it's the future that um, ha- plays the role of the amorphous substance, um, uh, and then uh, which contains the potential energy. Uh, and then it's the past that um, uh, is the crystallized um, uh, results of the process. And then the, the present is the limit of the crystal.
5: But the stable f- uh, state, it's fragile to understand, There is like a co Contemporarily, I mean coexisting of the of the of the process. I mean of the phases. So what I want to say is like a is it really linearity of time, like a cause and effect thingy, or could we think um another possibility like um uh, of course like a, it of course it is like he. Explains, I mean, explains, um explains time is not irreversible here. But can we think another possibility, like thinking of a metastable as a coexistence of uh, phases? Like, uh, for example, like individuating, individuated coexist to, at the metastable phase. So, should it be only like a kind of a cause and effect and then? time is linear in this process yeah this is my question I, i'm 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 afraid like of uh, my question
0: um uh, yeah i think i understand what you're getting at um so the question is uh, whether um the discussion of time here has to do with something like a, a linear time um related to cause and effect rather than um something uh something like uh, uh, the coexistence of phases, like he described in the introduction. Um, and um, hmm, it's an interesting question. Um, I think um, I think the way that he would want to put it is that the linear time uh, is a result of that uh, dephasing process that he described in the introduction. Um, so um, the in the way that the future uh, plays the role of the um, uh, amorphous mass uh, containing potential energy. Um, so uh, in in that amorphous mass uh, or in that future state, um, the phases are not differentiated yet. Um, and then um, um, it's out of that amorphous mass that the different um, uh, um I guess elements of time, or the different um, aspects of time—the the past, present, uh, and future—will be differentiated. Um, so it's not it's not strictly a linear um, account of time, but it, it's uh, an account of the genesis of time out of that amorphous mass.
5: Yeah, you you got the point actually. Like a point of my thank you. And then um, um maybe like it's kind of like the. Sorry, sorry. Confusion of uh, corporality and incorporality. So I just thought of Bergson. Like uh, in in terms of Bergson's idea, like as far as I understand, like a uh, time can be uh mixed, uh, like a past, present, and future. Maybe Smudo. Simone is trying to uh, explain so in terms of corporally materially so uh, I don't know maybe we can we can we can um, figure out this one like a uh, by going further, but still like yeah it makes sense like uh, I mean linearity makes sense but at the same time I'm just wondering like uh, something is like mingled. Intermingled at the particular phase. Yeah,
0: the uh, the the reference to Bechsan, I think, is um, something that's sort of in the background in this bit, or or whenever he talks about um, whenever he talks about becoming, uh, I think Bechsan is always sort of in the background. Um, but I'm not I'm not too sure um, of the specifics here of how this relates to Bergson. um, um Maybe maybe Alyosha has more uh, m- more to say about this, um, but um, um, I think the um, the idea here is um, maybe not exactly like the the, the Batsonian idea of um, the um, duration uh, and and the inner experience of time, um, because this is still. Uh, uh, some sort of becoming that is occurring in physical systems, um, um, rather than, uh, within, um, something like a, a mind. Um, but, um, yeah, I'm not, I'm not too sure. Maybe, uh, Alyosha has more to say on this. Yeah. then that's true about, uh, about that son that, um, like in, in, uh, creative evolution, um, he's, he's describing something that's not, um, that's not, um, a psychological process, um, yeah so here we have again um coming back to this idea um becoming is not opposed to being um uh, becoming is a is a, a dimension of being uh in in some sense um so that uh becoming is um part of the the dephasing uh of being um or um uh it's constitutive of what the being of an entity is um uh, is that becoming process um, so that there's no opposition between them? Uh, sorry, I'm not stating that very clearly, but um, uh, that's that's one of the central ideas um, of this work, as we saw in in the introduction. Um, and so now we see a more um, a more concrete development of what that means uh, in this chapter.
5: So the uh, what is the identity of crystal? What is the identity of crystal? What is a crystal? That's kind of what I understand. Is, that's uh, the seed which produces something that's what I understand about a uh, crystal and then and then I have a question about the identity of potential uh pre-individuality potentiality in pre-individuality crystal what is what relations among them so if I if I think a crystal equivalent to, to potentiality or principality, then I can think of uh, incorporality, not just a corp- corporality. That's why I box bark- on because cause, cause of some something kind of incorporeal could be interming- intermingled at the, some phases like a metastable state, uh, state or something like that. But as I told you, like, uh, if you go further, you can sort out this question. But thank you so much for your, I mean, explanations. Quite helpful.
0: Yeah, there's a, that's an interesting question of whether there's anything, um, something like an incorporeal um, going on here or uh, present in what we're looking at here. Um, I think my my tendency would be to say that there is no, um, there's nothing incorporeal yet that we've seen so far um, because we are dealing with physical individuation. So the uh, processes that we're seeing here are things that can, you know, that can be measured and, and studied by the physical sciences as he um, uh, pointed out in that sort of uh, note that we saw uh, at the end of the last week's reading. Um, uh individuation is is something that you can uh physical individuation at least is something that can be studied by the physical sciences. Um um and it's only um uh it's only so philosophical thought has to sort of resituate it as a form of genesis, but it doesn't um but uh the the uh, sort of content of that um individuation is something that the physical sciences themselves study. But I think when we get to other forms of individuation it um it might be, it might make more sense to describe, um, to, to talk about something incorporeal. So, especially when we get to psychic individuation uh, and then the trans individual, um, collective individuation, that in those types of individuation, it, it, it will make more sense to talk about something incorporeal. But I think here it um, it doesn't make sense to do that yet.
5: Yeah, okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Thank you.
0: Um, I was just looking ahead, um, we have. Like two medium-sized paragraphs to get through, um, and we have oh, we only have like two minutes. Sorry, I was gonna say that we could uh, try to push through the last little bit to finish this section for today, but um, I think maybe uh, we probably don't have time because uh, people probably have to leave right at four. Um, So maybe this would be a good place to to stop here um, for today. We'll we'll finish. uh, We have this couple of paragraphs which were not included in the uh in the 1964 um edition of this book um um but that were part of the the thesis the thesis um that uh that he wrote and that are published in this in the 2005 edition of the book and and so we have some more discussion of plato uh and the relationship between physics and philosophy um so we'll we'll keep that for next week and then we'll start on subsection three um so thank you everyone for um your participation and for, um, attending and, and so on. Um, and, uh, see you all next week.